0: This evening, we're going to spend our time considering the sacrament of submersion. For the sake of clarity, it'll first help you to know that a sacrament is a religious ritual that holds spiritual significance. Uh, You might not know this, but the Lord Jesus actually gave us two sacraments, the first being communion, which he instituted during the Last Supper, and the second sacrament is known as water baptism, and just for the sake of clarity... It'll first help you to know that the word baptism, it's actually translated from a Greek word which speaks of immersion or submersion. So we have a sacrament of submersion. Water baptism is this spiritual sacrament whereby the believer is fully submerged into water. And in order to better understand this spiritual sacrament, we should take some time to consider the day when the Lord directed his disciples to practice this second sacrament. And with this as the focus, if you would, let's first begin by opening our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, where we find the apostle Matthew. He's recounting the details of Christ's great commission. As you make your way to the 28th chapter of Matthew's Gospel account, I want to take a moment to point out that there is a great deal of confusion surrounding this sacrament of submersion. Uh, For example, some churches practice infant baptism. They do this by sprinkling water on the baby's head. Other churches insist that a person must be baptized in water in order to be saved, Uh, This is known as baptismal regeneration, and these churches will insist that if you're not water baptized, you can't go to heaven. Uh, And then there are those who insist that water baptism is no longer a sacrament that we're supposed to be observing. Uh, This group falls under uh, a a theology known as hyperdispensationalism, and they insist that water baptism was something that was uh, pre-Paul, but not post-Paul. Without debate, many people are completely confused About the sacrament of submersion. And with that being the case, we should take some time to consider the instructions that Jesus presented on the day when he instituted the sacrament of water baptism. If you would look with me there at Matthew chapter 28, I want to begin reading at verse 18. Here the Lord Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Here in these verses, we find Matthew. He's recounting this meeting that the Lord Jesus had with his followers. Uh, It was after his resurrection, but before his ascension into heaven. And as we consider these instructions, there should be no doubt that he was directing his disciples to go. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make more. He's telling the disciples to go make more disciples. And according to Jesus, those who who become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, we ought to then be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we take some time to further consider this commission of Christ Jesus, I should first point out that the majority of the false doctrines surrounding the sacrament of submersion are immediately refuted. Just by looking at this text, we see that that most of these uh, heresies surrounding water baptism are immediately dealt with. For example, uh, those who teach infant baptism, they're obviously wrong. And the reason why is because Jesus here is calling us to baptize disciples. In other words, we aren't supposed to baptize a person until they repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while I have to admit I'm no expert on babies, uh, I also must confess I have yet to see one who's able to recognize their need to repent. Have you ever met a baby who recognizes, I'm a sinner and I need to repent? No, not at all. Therefore, infant baptism is clearly an unbiblical practice because there are no babies who become disciples of Jesus Christ. What about those who insist that water baptism is no longer a sacrament that we're supposed to observe here in the church age? Well, with this question in mind, if you would look with me again there at verse 19, here again, Jesus declares, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He's not talking about just the Jews. He's talking about all the nations of the world. Go into all the world, he's saying, and go make disciples of all these nations. And then he says to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them who? All the nations who, who become disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Here the Lord Jesus makes it clear that the great commission of Christ Jesus was not just uh, supposed to be accomplished up until uh, you know, the, the end of, of Peter's reign and the beginning of, 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 of Paul's you know, uh, commission. No, this is a, a commission that continues till the end of the age. The great commission of Christ Jesus should be accomplished in all the nations of the world until the end of the age. Therefore, those who insist that water baptism should no longer be practiced, they're failing to realize that Christians have actually been called to continue making disciples and and then baptizing those disciples until the end of the church age. Finally, I want to address uh, the, the those who, who insist that a person must be water baptized in order to get saved. Again, this doctrine known as baptismal regeneration, uh, it's, it's taught by uh, the, the, the cult groups out there who claim to be the one true church, and they'll say that we have uh, the, the water that you must be baptized in. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to go to their church, you have to be baptized in their water, and then you're right with Jesus. Listen. Uh, The person who says that we must be baptized in water in order to be saved, they're failing to grasp what Jesus was saying here. Remember, Jesus says there to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing who? Them. Who's the them? The disciples. You go and make a disciple, and then you baptize them, the disciples, In other words, you have to be a disciple before you get water baptized. And therefore, the concept that uh, water baptism is necessary for salvation, uh, it completely flies in the face of what Jesus was actually saying. In order to further prove my point, let's turn uh, in our Bibles now to Acts chapter 8. It's here in the 8th chapter of Acts where we find the Holy Spirit leading the apostle Philip on a road that goes out to the desert from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it was there on the road to Gaza where Philip met a God-fearing Gentile who was from Ethiopia. The man who was reading a section of scripture from the book of Isaiah, he was struggling to understand this prophetic passage, and it was at that moment when the Holy Spirit directed Philip to go and witness to that man. With this context in mind, if you would look with me there at Acts chapter 8, I want to begin reading at verse 30. Here we learn that Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Here in these verses we find Philip agreeing to baptize the man from Ethiopia, but only after he had believed in the gospel message. Philip wanted to make sure that this man believed with all of his heart that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he has risen from the grave. Based on this story, we can see then that water baptism, is, it's a sacrament of submersion, which is for believers. Water baptism is a sacrament for the believer who has embraced the gospel message of grace. In order to further prove my point, I want to consider another example, which is found in Acts chapter 16. If you would, let's turn in our Bibles to the 16th chapter of Acts. Here we find Paul and and a man named Silas. They're both sitting in a Philippian prison. And the reason why is because Paul had cast the demon out of a girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination. And as a result, those who were profiting from her uh, possession Uh, They immediately called for the imprisonment of Paul because uh, they weren't making money off this gal anymore. With that context in mind, if you would look with me here at Acts chapter 16, I want to begin reading there at verse 25. Here we learn that it was midnight when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Here in these verses we find Paul, he's helping this Gentile jailer to understand that we're saved by faith and by faith alone. The jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? Clearly he had been listening to, to their preaching. He had been uh, you know, listening to their hymns and, and understanding that these, uh, these men, Paul and Silas, were worshipers of Jesus Christ. And, and when he saw that they didn't just run out of the prison when they had the opportunity to, they, he recognized that there was something about these guys. And he wanted them to know how to be saved. And in verse 31, Paul puts it very plainly. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple as that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from the punishment that we all deserve. And trust me, we all deserve the everlasting punishment of God. According to Luke, the entire family demonstrated their faith in Jesus Christ through the sacrament. Of water baptism they were all baptized because they all believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in light of these verses we can see that water baptism it's a sacrament that is practiced by those who believe in Jesus those who have become disciples of Jesus by faith have the opportunity to practice the sacrament of submersion in the words of one scholar Believers' baptism is a rite of immersion in water as commanded by Christ, by which one, after confessing their sins and professing their faith in Christ, having been born again by the Holy Spirit into a new life, identifies publicly with the fellowship of Christ and the church. More simply put, the sacrament of submersion is a public profession of faith by which we proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. And in order to more fully grasp the spiritual symbolism of water baptism, I want to consider something that the Apostle Peter wrote in his first epistle. With this as the focus, if you would, let's turn in our Bibles now to First Peter chapter 3, because it's in the third chapter of First Peter, where we find the Apostle Peter. He's helping his audience to grasp the symbolic meaning of water baptism. He did this by pointing back to the story of Noah's flood when Noah and his family were all saved from the judgment waters that condemned those who would not repent of their sins. As a matter of fact, if you would look with me here at 1 Peter chapter three, let's begin reading there at verse 18. Here, Peter reminded his readers that Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were, notice, saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now, uh, here in these verses, we find Peter, he, he makes a statement that, that on the surface would seem to suggest that water baptism is the way that we're saved. And, and, and yet that's not what he's saying. In order to fully grasp what Peter is preaching here, we should notice that he's first comparing the flood of Noah to the sacrament of water baptism, and in order to grasp the point that Peter was making, we should examine, first of all, the word anti type, which is found there in verse 21. For the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that the Greek word anti means in place of, and the Greek word typos was used to describe anything that is formed after some pattern. Therefore, Peter's helping his audience to understand that the sacrament of water baptism was patterned after the flood of Noah. What does that even mean? With that question in mind, we should take some time to consider how baptism is an antitype of the flood. And with this as the focus, I should first remind you that that the water that flooded the earth during the days of Noah didn't save anyone. Notice again uh, there in verse 20, where we learn that eight souls were saved through Water. That water was not the means of salvation. The water that flooded the earth during the days of Noah didn't save anyone. No one said the flood waters that covered the earth was God's way of judging the wicked people of this world. The people who got wet, they died. And seeing how the submersion sacrament has been patterned after the flood of Noah, then it only stands to reason that baptismal water, it's not a means of salvation, but rather it's a symbol of God's judgment, which results in death. I should also remind you that the people who survived the flood, they never got wet. No one said they were safe and sound after having been sealed in the ark. It's in Genesis chapter 7 where Moses tells us that the Lord shut the door of the ark and sealed them in. In other words, the Lord used the ark to save Noah and his family from the waters that flooded the earth. And seeing how the submersion sacrament has been patterned after the flood of Noah, well, it only stands to reason that the ark then is a symbol of our Savior Jesus. Paul confirms this in Ephesians chapter 5 where he helps his audience to realize that those who believe in the gospel of our salvation are then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, the believer has been spiritually sealed into the mystical body of Jesus Christ. And much like Noah and his family were saved from the judgment waters that flooded the earth, the born-again believer can rejoice in knowing that We are sealed into the body of Christ and in the body of Christ, we are saved from the wrath of God. (coughs) We should also take a moment to consider how the anti-type of water baptism is a pattern uh, that points to the resurrection of Jesus. In order to explain what I mean, I should remind you of the way in which the floodwaters caused Noah's ark to rise up above the judgment. Those who were in the ark, they rose up above the wrath of righteous judgment. They were lifted up over the judgment that was happening beneath them. It's in a similar yet spiritual way that those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise into the spiritual body of Jesus Christ, we will rise above the wrath of righteous judgment as the saints of God rise up from the grave. And this is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Here Peter declares there is also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through what? Through water baptism? No. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now remember, the antitype of baptism, it's a symbolic picture patterned after the flood of Noah, and it's designed to reveal the salvation of those who have been spiritually sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise into the body of Christ, and in the body of Christ, because Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead, we too, in Christ, will rise up from the grave. When the believer then is lifted up out of the baptismal water. The sacrament is symbolically revealing the promise of resurrection that every believer will eventually experience on the day when we're finally glorified in the presence of our Savior. To sum it up, the antitype of baptism, which now saves, it was patterned after the flood of Noah, which was designed to present a symbolical picture pointing to the gospel of grace. And in order to further prove my point, it's important to remember that Noah and his family, they weren't saved by the flood water. No, they were saved, notice, by faith. They were saved by faith. In order to prove my point, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 11. You see, it's in Hebrews chapter 11 where we find a Hebrew named Paul helping the Hebrews to understand that the Old Testament saints were all saved by faith in the promises of God. And throughout the entire chapter, you know, Paul is presenting a list of Old Testament saints who were saved by faith. And it's here in in Hebrews 11, verse 6, where he brings us to the story of Noah. With this in mind, if you would look with me there at Hebrews chapter 11, I want to begin reading there at verse 6. Here Paul declares, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And notice, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to, what? Faith. By faith, Noah, obeyed god by faith he built the ark by faith he led his family onto that ark and by faith he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith it was faith that led noah to protect his family from the judgment of god and while it's true that the faith in Noah led him to obey the instructions of the Lord, it's also true that Noah had already received the grace of God by faith. As a matter of fact, it's in Genesis chapter 6, it's found in verse 8, where Moses tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he did all the right things? No. Because he was a man of faith because he believed God, and it was credited to his account for righteousness. In light of this, we can see then that Noah and his family, they were saved by God's grace, which was received by faith. And as a result, he became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. What this also means then is that the antitype of water baptism, which was patterned after the flood of Noah, it's a picture of the faith that led Noah to enter the ark, which saved him and his family from the flood. And in light of Noah's example, it only stands to reason then that the person who wants to be baptized in water, the the person who wants to engage in this antitype, the the person who wants to, to enter into this symbolic picture patterned after Noah's flood, they must first be a believer like Noah. We must be a believer like Noah. We must have already received the grace of God like Noah. We must trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ in order to properly take part in this symbolic sacrament. We find a perfect picture of this in Acts chapter 10. If you would, let's turn to Acts chapter 10. You see it's here in Acts chapter 10 where we find Luke, he's recounting a day when Peter went and preached uh, to the Gentiles who were at the house of Cornelius. And this is actually the point in time uh, when Peter realizes that God intended to include Gentiles in the church. And and Peter here in Acts chapter 10, you can back up and read the context later for homework, but he's preaching the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and as he's preaching the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit fell upon uh, the entire household of Cornelius. As a matter of fact, look with me there at Acts chapter 10. I want to draw your attention to the middle of verse 44, where we learn that the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, these people who were with Peter, uh, who, the, the, those of the circumcision who believed they were astonished As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Based on this, we can see that water baptism isn't how they got saved. No, they listened to the gospel, they heard the gospel message, they heard about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and as Peter was still speaking, they believed and the Holy Spirit came upon them and sealed them into the body of Christ. And so Peter said, hey, who can stop them from being water baptized now? They're believers. From this, we can see that water baptism is a spiritual sacrament which is only offered to those who believe in the gospel of grace. Peter didn't offer water baptism until until he saw the evidence of their salvation. He saw that they had become disciples by faith in Jesus Christ and said, let's baptize them in water. In light of this example, listen, we only offer the sacrament of submersion to those who have placed their faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we begin to wrap up this message, it's possible that I've lost you along the way. Maybe you fell asleep and time to wake up. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm bringing this plane in for a landing here. So I just want to sum it up by reminding you that water baptism is a sacrament of submersion which is received by believers. Believers who have already been born again by faith in the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. Therefore, if you're a disciple of Jesus and since the day of your conversion, you still haven't yet been water baptized, I encourage you, walk in obedience. Receive the instruction that the Lord gave us at the time when he issued the Great Commission. Receive the wonderful sacrament of submersion through water baptism. Remember, the Lord Jesus has called every believer to publicly profess our faith in his finished work. And we do this one way, through the sacrament of submersion. As we're fully submerged into water, we are symbolically associating with the death and the burial of our Savior Jesus. Then as we're raised up out of the water, we're symbolically revealing our faith in the resurrection of our Redeemer. And not only that, but we're also revealing our belief that we too will rise above the judgment which will be received by those who will not repent of their sins. It's through the sacrament of submersion that we present the world with a physical picture of our faith in the grace of God which frees us from the righteous judgment that we all deserve. And it's for this reason that I encourage every Christian to be water baptized. It's possible that you were baptized as a baby. Biblically speaking, no such thing. It's possible that you were baptized as a youth, but it was before you truly gave your heart to Jesus Christ. You were just going through the motions. You were just trying to make your parents happy, whatever the case. We are called to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if you've become a disciple of Christ, and since then have not yet been baptized in water, I encourage you to come out and be baptized this Saturday. Publicly profess your faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And as you do, you'll rejoice in knowing that you're walking in obedience with your Savior. Let's pray.